dedicated to student counsellors and their road to getting qualified and beyond. Today it's episode 13 and I thought I would talk to you today about how I use CBT with clients. If you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and would like to leave a review, please do. It would really help me out. So grab a cuppa and let's get started. Hi everybody. Wow, it really is a heat wave, isn't it? It's boiling and I am sweltering in this room today. Um, but it is really lovely to be here and, you know, doing some of this stuff with you guys. And I hope you've all been fine and, and had a lovely week so far, even though actually I'm recording this today and it's Tuesday. So it's not actually been very far into the week, but but hey ho, here we are. I think it's a really strange time for a lot of people, isn't it? With things beginning to really open up now and... There's lots of of talk about whether we wear masks or whether we don't wear masks. And it feels as if there's a lot of question marks over all of that at the moment. So I hope you're all feeling okay and you're making the decisions that you need to make for yourselves. Because it is really a really strange time for everybody. And I hope you're managing to take care of yourselves within that. Anyway, I thought that maybe I would talk a little bit today about CBT, actually, um, because for those of you that have followed me here on this podcast, I'm an integrative therapist. So I work in a way which brings in different elements of different counselling modalities. I'm predominantly a person-centred therapist, but I bring in parts of gestalt and parts of cognitive behavioural therapy into my work, as well as other bits and bobs, but predominantly those three. And I wanted to speak to you today about the CBT element of my work and to sort of talk to you about how I use it personally with clients and how I find it to be and and also how clients find it to be and how they react to it. I would never call myself a purist. I'm not a pure CBT therapist by any stretch of the imagination, but there are parts of CBT that really resonate with me, that I really enjoy using and often get really, you know, quite good results from it, actually. You know, clients often benefit from using those sort of techniques. For me, when I was doing my training, you know, we had a big kind of module on on CBT and it really spoke to me. I'm not quite sure how and why, but it really spoke to me. We had a a lovely book, which was a book of experiments. Um, I'll try and link it in the the show notes below because it's the most incredible book that I was just fascinated by. And it was all of these different situations in which a client might be fearful or might be avoidant. And it was experiments that you could devise with the client to use with them to help them to overcome the fear and the avoidance that they were experiencing at that time. So I found that using parts of CBT were really interesting to me. And I I always wanted to use it alongside the relationship and knowing that building that therapeutic relationship that feels safe and warm and comfortable for the client means that when they feel safe, we're then able to challenge things a little bit further. So that you've still got the beauty of doing it this way is you've still got the person-centred element. You're still being relational. You're still being really congruent and sharing that re- the reality that you have. You're still sharing that together. 
But sometimes clients get stuck in certain thought patterns or certain cycles that need to be changed and they want to change them, but they just don't know how. And so using therapy to help to identify perhaps what they would like to change and what they want to achieve or what they want to overcome. Using the person-centred element to talk about that and to really dig down and dig deeply into it in a way that feels safe and supportive to the client. But then being able to then deal with things in a more systemic way and looking at the the symptoms of what's happening, I suppose, and, and using cognitive behavioural therapy to help with that. So quite often the work that I do with clients is around noticing them catastrophizing. So catastrophizing for those of you that haven't yet reached the CBT elements of life is very much around clients overestimating the the likelihood of something happening. So they have a thought in their mind and they overestimate how likely that is to happen and they start to believe that this this awful thing that they think is going to happen definitely will happen. And they talk to themselves in a way where they really notice that actually this is really scary. It's a really scary thought that I'm having and and I I don't want to feel that way anymore. So they talk to to themselves in that way. And often within my work, I notice that they might be catastrophizing and I might say to them, okay, so how likely is that to happen? That thing that you've just told me about, how likely is that to happen? And I ask them that in a number. So, you know, zero is not likely to happen at all. And 10 is completely likely to happen. And that just helps them to really grasp whether there is a reality in this. And if they come back with a high number, you know, seven or eight or, or above, I then will challenge that a bit further with them and, and talk to them about whether it's really true and how strong that feeling is and all of those sorts of things. If it's a lower number, you know, seven or below, maybe into fives, threes, fours, those sorts of numbers, often they will realise that actually this thing isn't likely to happen and it will enable them to recognise that they might have been catastrophizing about something and believing that something awful was going to happen when actually, in reality, it probably won't. And so using that and for them and helping them to recognise that they're catastrophizing is really, really useful because for me, it enables me to say, is is that catastrophizing? Do you think you're catastrophizing at this point? Once I've taught them the principles of catastrophizing and what to look out for, they can then really appreciate that. And the magic happens when they come in for a session and they say, oh, I, I noticed the other day I was doing this and I was definitely catastrophizing. And I was able to tell myself in the moment that I'm catastrophizing. <laughs> and there's so much magic in that, isn't there? In, in them being able to recognise it for themselves and almost become their own therapist, which I think is the goal of all therapists, really, isn't it? Is to get their client to become their own therapist. And I think it feels really quite powerful when it happens in that way and really useful. So catastrophizing is a big part of, of what I work with. And of course, that's a big part of cognitive behavioural therapy in itself. So another part of my favourite thing around CBT is looking at experiments and looking at things that clients can do to, to really try things out and to help to push them outside of their comfort zone and outside of that boundary. And one thing that I always like to do is to invite clients to establish an experiment that they would like to try at home, um, almost as, I guess, as homework, you know, and we together would come up with something and come up with an idea of of what it is they might like to do. Usually very client-led. This is usually very much them. And perhaps me facilitating that by checking in with them and 
checking how much they believe they're going to be able to do this. And if they think actually there's a high chance I won't do this, then helping them to adjust it so that they feel able to do it. So they're set, not setting themselves up to fail before they've even begun. And that feels like it's really important that it's a collaborative thing together but very much client-led with me facilitating them. It tends to be around things where people are very avoidant that I use this and it might be that they're avoiding doing something. I don't know, let's say avoiding, I don't know, going to a particular pub because of a bad experience they've had there in the past and they might really want to go to that place and really overcome this, but really have a sense of not of not being able to. And so I might talk to them about, okay, you know, what, what would make it easier for you to go to this pub? And they might say, well, I could go, but I need to have a friend with me. And you could say, okay, so do you feel able to ask this friend? Is there a particular friend in mind that you feel would help you? And they might say, yes, it's Fred from up the road. Fred will help me and he'll he'll come with me to the pub. It might be as simple as breaking that experiment down, right down to the the bare crooks of it to, to make the beginning of the experiment could be asking Fred to come with me to the pub and making that the first part of that experiment, the first step. Or the client might say, actually, I'm completely fine with asking him. I'm happy to ask him this week and arrange to go. So that's how far the spectrum is. And then I might say to the client, OK, so you're, you're saying that you're going to ask Fred and you're going to, to visit the pub. When do you think you're going to be able to do that? So then we would start to pin down when. So a bit more of times and dates and make it real. Give them a reality, something to aim for. But it's very much about the client leading this. So I'm asking them what they can do and they're telling me what they feel they can do. And if it feels like a really big leap between where they are now and where they're trying to get to, then I will say that, you know, is there something that you can do to make this easier? Is there something that you can do to make this feel more manageable for you? And then the client might adjust that and say, actually, do you know what? The first step is I'm just going to ask Fred. I'm going to get in contact with him and I'm going to set a date in my diary. And that might be the first step into this experiment the client and I were doing together. And so they then might come back next time that we have a session and talk about, yeah, I contacted Fred. We've agreed that we're going to do it on this date, um, but I'm still not sure if I'm going to be able to do it because I'm feeling uncomfortable or worried or anxious or anything like that. And so then it's about us talking through, Okay, so Fred's going to come with you. You're going to go. Is there a particular time of day that would feel easier for you to go? Or is there other conditions that would help you? For example, would you feel happier if Fred was to pick you up in his car and drive you there? What do you need to help make this happen? And so it's about us establishing those, the bits and bobs that go behind this. It's not just simply, I'm going to walk into that pub. It's about breaking down where the obstacles lie for the client, breaking down where the avoidance lies and breaking down how it feels. And I'm doing all of this in a very relational way. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm not telling them they must do this. I'm asking them what they can do. And I'm also not telling them, wow, that's a great idea. Just push yourself and go, you know, just go and do it. I'm not telling them that. I'm checking very carefully because it's what we don't want to do is is set them up to fail, you know, set them up before they've even started. We want it to be a process for them, which feels comfortable and possible. It's possible to do it. And so I think that's really important in itself. So that's part of it. And a big part of the CBT experiments is that they would come back in the sessions following and they we would talk about how it went. What did you feel? How did you find that? You know, would you do it again? 
all of those sorts of questions. And and it's just as useful when a client comes back and says, I wasn't able to do it. I'm really sorry. I tried, but I couldn't. That's just as helpful and just as useful as them coming back and saying that they did it. So I always frame this in a way of this is an experiment. This is your choice. And this is about us evaluating this together. It's not in a judgy way. It's not in a finger pointing way. It's about knowing that they're safe enough to come back and say, I got to the door, I put my hand on the handle and I couldn't go any further. And that enables us to say, okay, so what was happening for you in that moment? What was the thought process that you were going into? Um, So there's so much there within that. So even if an experiment doesn't actually happen, doesn't take place, there's so much therapy in why it didn't take place and so much therapy in understanding for the client what it was that was happening. And we might then adjust that experiment and say, okay, so it's too much for you to walk into that pub, but maybe for the next week or so, could you walk down to the, you know, along the pavement, along the outside and just look in the window and then go home. So it would be about really adjusting that experiment and bringing it down to something that's manageable for them, building it from there. So it's, it's very tentative process. It's very, I want to say it's really organic. I don't know if that sounds a bit hippie, but it's a really organic process in learning about the client and learning what they need and letting this grow and expand around them. Them feeling as as confident as they can throughout this process and encouraging them to be really honest. You know, if this was too much for you, if it was way too much, please come and tell me. Let us adjust this together to make it more manageable for you. Because we don't want them to be stuck in it forever, do we? We want to find those ways to, to help them move forward. So that's a really a massive part of my work. And probably one of my favourite things to do with clients is to devise these sorts of experiments. And I find it massively rewarding. I love that. I love picking it apart. You know, what's going on? How are you feeling with this? All of those sorts of questions that come to mind. And because the the process is done in such a relational way rather than a sort of a scripted way if that makes sense i'm able to really delve deeper into what might be happening for them and use the real person centered side of my training to really cushion that and to really support them as they're talking about how it felt or how it might feel so it's using it in conjunction with that really relational place that we've already established together if that makes sense to you another part of cbt that I really enjoy is thinking about negative automatic thoughts. You might hear them spoken of as gnats. And that's very much something which I think we all do at times. We all have a very quick negative automatic thought that comes to us. And a big part of the therapy, in my opinion, is helping clients to recognise that. So I'm quite challenging with them. If I hear them and I've got the client's permission to challenge them, if I hear these negative automatic thoughts then I will point them out and say, I noticed that you're having that thought and that feels like it's quite a reoccurring thought for you. Or I noticed you've had that thought and it reminds me of something else you've said before. Beginning to point out when those thoughts are happening for them and asking them what that's about. And again, asking them to rate how much they believe that thought to be true. And I always use numbers because I like to use it because I find that it helps them to really go to a really rational place. But it does take them out of an emotional place sometimes. So it's using that with caution, but asking them to let me know how much they believe that thought. A zero, they don't believe it at all. And 10, they completely believe it to be true. Where do they place their number? And that's a really, a really interesting exercise to do. And then throughout the course of our therapy, if I hear or notice these negative automatic thoughts coming, 
then I'll gently point them out and I'll say, I noticed that you're doing that. I noticed that that's a thought that's coming up for you. And sometimes I do what's called a thought challenge through that. So we sort of argue it out in a way. <laughs> so we, so I'd say to them, okay, so what is that thought? We'd write the thought down, which is the initial thought. And then we would argue it back and forth between the, the negative thought and what the positive side of that could be and, and argue it. So they argue it with themselves back and forth with me facilitating that and asking them, okay, so what does that mean? What's the opposite of the thought that you're having? What's the opposite is a really good way of starting it. Not arguing, not rowing, but together asking them to go through that process. And sometimes that could be a really helpful process because it's about them, again, really recognising what's happening. These negative thoughts are extremely quick. They're extremely automatic and they are really negative. They are exactly what they say on the tin. And if we have lots of those negative thoughts happening a lot, you know, all through the day or into the night, they can be really a negative place for us to be, a real negative headspace. So it is about that. It's about let's recognise them. Let's acknowledge that they exist and that they're there and then begin to challenge them. So that's another really lovely part of CBT that I enjoy doing. In fact, as I'm standing here now, I'm thinking there's a lot of CBT that I love. You know, the other side, of course, is homework. You know, asking clients to perhaps write something in a journal. That can be a really lovely kind of homework piece to do and asking them to really zone in on how they're feeling. And I really enjoy doing that as well. That's something which sometimes they come in with their journal and they'll say, my gosh, look, you know, I noticed this as I was writing or they write things down and they come in and they read out a little bit of what they've written. And so there's so much there in asking them to do some work in between sessions. It doesn't all have to be done sat in the chair in that moment. It could be done all through their week, all through the two weeks, however long it is until they see you again. They're checking in with it. They're learning different ways of being. But they know that you're there and they'll come back to you and report back and talk to you about what's been happening. And they can only do that when we've built a relationship that feels safe and secure for them to do it. So I know that that was quite a quick rundown of CBT and I feel like I want to talk more about it because it feels there's so much there. But for me, those are the key things that I use. I use other elements of it, of course, but those are the things that I use most commonly. And I would love to hear your thoughts on CBT and whether you've had much dealings with it. It might be that you've personally had cognitive behavioural therapy. Often the NHS will, will offer this because it's so well researched. There's a lot of research that's gone into it. Often they like a, a goal-driven kind of approach in that sense. And so sometimes you, people are often prescribe CBT. But I would really love to hear your thoughts on it and whether you've seen a pure CBT therapist in, in your lifetime or whether you've had, you know, somebody a little bit like me that's that's very personable and very, um, not to say the CBT therapists aren't personable, by the way, but come from a person-centred place and then building elements of it in. For me, it feels like you get the best of both worlds. But that's just my opinion and that's just me. So everyone's different in what they need. Thank you so much for joining me today, guys. I've had, I've actually really enjoyed talking about this and I think I definitely would do some more. <laughs> so stay in touch with me. Come over and see me on Facebook. It would be lovely to, to connect with you. And until next time, I look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.